Good to see you all. Oh, very welcome. Um, it's the first time publicly since the start of the lockdown, which is just over two years ago, so we were able to do communion, so that was good. We haven't managed to do that just quite yet in Antrim, but uh, it'll definitely be happening next week after this week. Um, but uh, I realize just how much you miss it, that uh, there's something in communion that um, when you haven't had it for two years in that way, uh, I've had communion, obviously, if you haven't had, you should probably go home and take it more often, but um, it's, uh, it's a thing that Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him, so it's a good thing to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, many of you know when a stone, stone rolls away, everything changes. Um, and there's, a, there's, there's stones rolling away in an interesting way over the, over the last wee while. And uh, it's kind of one of those things where when the world's situation is what it is, we, shouldn't, we never lose hope. We, we never lose hope. And we're starting a new series. It's our Easter series called Resurrection Paradox. And the Resurrection Paradox is an anomaly because in order to have a resurrection, you need to have a death. Uh, and nothing's ever resurrected that hasn't died or had pain before it's happened. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I remember one time having a conversation with a guy who was very mentally ill, but he believed he was Jesus. Um, he wanted me to call him Jesus. Um, I said, I can't do that. He said, but I am Jesus. He was 99.9% .9 sure he was Jesus. I'm pretty sure 99.9% .9 he wasn't, but I'm sure Jesus was in him. But it's one of those funny things whenever, uh, whenever, uh, whenever you're faced with something where, where you get this crazy paradox, you kind of go, well, no, I know the real Jesus and I definitely know you're not, not him. And uh, how many of you know when Jesus comes into our lives, when, when he starts rolling stones away, these incredible miracles begin to happen? Um, you, you, see, you see Jesus refer to himself in a, in a sentence called, I am. And the I am uh, that really annoyed the Pharisees in the day, there are seven I am statements in the scriptures. How many of you know that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread and the life. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. Anytime that Jesus said, I am, he was actually referencing what happened back in the Old Testament with Moses. It's ego, ego, my. And it's this idea that I am. And what Jesus was saying is, I am the God who does all these things, which is why the Pharisees went nuts. But unfortunately, our English doesn't separate those things very well. But then Jesus comes in John 11, uh, 25, when Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. We said again, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He didn't say, I give you resurrection or I cause resurrection. He said, I am resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. It's actually quite a, an incredible statement for somebody who wasn't crazy to come along and say, I am the resurrection and life. I, 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 can, I can cause you to come back to life, but if you, in order for you to believe me so that you will live, you have to die. It's a, it's a paradox. I asked a young person this week um, in studying for this what, what they thought the resurrection was. And... Um, uh, let me just be really clear that the, the resurrection that is in, rests in scripture is so, it's when something dies and comes back to life. It's this idea that, that something could be so dead that it's beyond ever hope that Jesus comes along and brings it back. Um, I don't have too many resurrection stories. I have prayed for the dead to come back to life. Some people find that very strange in a modern world, but I kind of think if Jesus has commanded us to do everything he, he did, then I think we need to continue to do that. I haven't had any success yet, except one time. 
I kid you not, I wasn't very old, young in faith, and I came along and there was a dead blackbird on the road in front of me. And I came along and I thought, I kind of had this thing where I was full of faith, probably about 18 at the time, and, and I was new in faith and I thought, I, I'm gonna pray for this bird to come back to life. And you know when you're kind of that age, you're stuck between this, this germy thing that's dead and might have maggots in it, and you don't, your mommy always told you never touch those things because they're dirty. So I was kind of having this thing that I wanted to lay hands on it, but it just was too manky just to do that. And it was kind of like praying and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna get a prayer stick. So I went and broke a stick off and I got a prayer stick and I pointed the stick at the little bird and I went, in Jesus' name, I kid you not, it got up and flew away. I, I, honestly, it flew away. I was like, I'm keeping this stick. <laughs> You know, is it funny how, how we go into this thing? I'm not sure maybe a bird had got it, maybe it'd flown into a tree or something, but it, it came back to life. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, where when something's dead, it's very hard to bring it back to life. But actually, there's something incredible, passionately, all the way through Scripture, that as we, as we die to ourselves, the more life we get. As we, as we cut off the past, deal with the past, the more life he wants to give us. It's an upside down kingdom. And uh, that's my only resurrection story, but it's not the only story I know about resurrection. And it's really important that as we go along that you realize that, that we were dead in ourselves and the day that you got saved, the day that you met Jesus, the day you got filled with the spirit of God, you got resurrected. Now our bodies may die, but you will never die. And that's a promise of God. And it's, it's really interesting. I want to share a story with you. If you want to get your Bibles, turn with uh, to, to, um, John chapter 11. I want to read the story of, of um, I want to read the story of Lazarus. Um, let me just get it here. Now there's a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany in the village of Mary and, and his sister Martha. Mary, whose brother uh, Lazarus now lay sick was the same one that poured perfume on the Lord at the feet with her hair and cleaned it. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory and for God's son may be glorified through it. Then Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, that's an interesting sentence. Because it's kind of one of those things where Jesus could do something about it, knew he could do something about it, but why did, he, why did he not go straight away? Why did he stay for two days? That's one of my questions when I get up there. I will ask him. And he said to the disciples, uh, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back? Now, it's also interesting that, that, that the Jewish people wanted to kill Jesus. And rather than not choosing to go back, he actually decided he was going to go back to death. There's so many paradoxes in this particular chapter that as we begin to look at it, you begin to see Jesus was facing death all of the time. And Jesus answered, there are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks at daylight will not stumble and see by the world's light. It is the person who walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Again, he's talking about night and day, black and white. He's talking about, about who we follow when we step into light. Um, uh, after he said this, that he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Way before he ever said that, he already called out. And the moment Jesus said this was actually the moment that we knew that Lazarus was coming back to life. 
Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus said, the sleep I'm speaking of is death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, known as Didymus. Now Didymus is an interesting word. I like that word. Thomas is a good name. Sorry, Thomas, Didymus, all the Thomases in the room. All right. Uh, let us go there so that, that, that may die with him. Um, Thomas is an interesting character because there's sarcasm in this. You see, Thomas comes along and he's like, it's like you know, okay, God, let's just, uh, let, let's all go there and we'll all die together. It's kind of like, yeah, right. I'm going back to watch you raise this man from the dead. Wise up, Jesus. And you see Thomas just peering every now and again. He pops up with this doubt. Anybody ever doubted a resurrection? Mm. Anyway, on arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, you also have to understand there's a context here. Something in, in the Jewish day was that it's kind of like, do you know what? You go to England, um, you don't get buried for like four weeks. And you tell that to Northern Ireland people that the near have a nightmare. And it's like, it's like if they're not in the ground in three days, our superstition, religious nonsense goes, goes wild. And you see that regularly because in the same way today, it's, like, it's kind of like there was a whole idea that the spirit lingered around for three days. And that if you could kind of hang around for three days, then maybe just maybe they could come back to life. Because the idea was that at four days, they were definitely dead. That there was no coming back. You know, three days, they might come back. Two days, maybe. One, there's a good chance. But no, four days. And four days was gone. He, he was dead. He was deader than a dead thing, honestly. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them for the loss of their brother. We're now having a wake. And uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. He sent out to meet him, but Martha stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give whatever he, you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. But, but this was the last day. This was the resurrection. Why? Because this wasn't about an event. This was about a person. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said what she had said this, she went back to call her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary's house comforted her, noticed how quickly she had got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb for mourning. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at her feet. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Again, doubting the resurrection. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also were weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, you reply. Shortest passage in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of you said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more moved deeply, came to the tomb, a cave where the stone was rolled away. He said to them, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad smell 
bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. The King James uses the word, he stinketh. I like that one. When Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he took away the stone and the, 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 Jesus looked up, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that it is you that sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of lemon and cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's always fascinating me uh, that this particular passage of scripture um, has so many paradoxes in it. And it's really hard to get your head around that one man who, who came to live on the earth at somewhere, somewhere could, could raise a man back to life after four dead, after four days. That the family had given up hope even though they had watched Jesus do hundreds of miracles. Even though there was this incredible move that around him, they knew him, they knew he was, they knew he was God, they knew he was capable of this. Never did they even think that he was gonna change something. I wonder, have you ever thought about the paradoxes in your own life? I've discovered that the best way to grow is to kill the dead things that don't make you grow. Um, I've been weed killing my weeds this week. Um, when you spray weed killer on them, you know it doesn't die straight away. It takes a while. That's a real bugbear of mine. Like, why don't they just die straight away? But they don't. And then a year later, guess what happens? They come back again. It's like resurrection in front of us all of the time. And there's these paradoxes that are in our lives. Can I ask you a question? What do you need to die to yourself for? What needs resurrected in your life? There's too many times in our own lives when we, when we walk, when we walk through uh, the, all of the troubles that we do, it is so easy to see death. It, it's so easy to focus on the sadness, the pain, uh, all of that. But you will never get resurrection if you stay dead. Let me say that again. You will never get resurrection if that's all you see, if that's all you focus on. And we see this all the time. It's the human nature to discount what Jesus has the ability to do. How many of you know Jesus has the ability to bring incredible life? How many of you know the word for life is the word Zoe? Zoe, she's here. It means life, it means newness. It's this idea that this eternal hope that never goes out, this light that never goes out, this freedom that never gets lost, this, this idea that, that once, once you find the light, once you find Zoe, this life, it can never, it can never die again. I had a different sermon for you today, but some interesting events have happened this past week and I thought I'll take a, a wee chance just to share some stuff with you. I don't know, maybe everybody heard I was coming and decided to take a wee holiday this morning because half the church aren't here. But you're here and that's good because you're going to get to hear some, some new life things that uh, I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, a couple of things as we, as we go forward, I, I want to give you some new information about where we're at. Um, many of you know in September... Um, uh, we, we came out of COVID the last couple of years and we got back up in September again and we launched a wider leadership team here and we invited many of the folks from here. I want to say this straight off. It's always been our opinion uh, as a church, as an eldership, and some of you may or may not know we have a church in Antrim uh, and we have two churches, but that the idea was never to have a campus model of church. Uh, some churches around the world have campus models and they reflect what, what, what happens in, the, I suppose, the mothership. Um, that's never been the way that we've wanted to do this. We've, I've always had uh, what I call the strawberry plant runner method, which was that, that at some point when a strawberry plant goes out, that an arm goes out, it, it injects roots into the ground, and once those roots begin to grow and begin to bring its own fruit, then 
the arm breaks off and it establishes itself. And that has always been the hope. And I can tell you, whenever, uh, whenever we planted in here, against all the odds, and I've said this to you before, the amount of people who came to me and said, what are you doing planting a church in Downpatrick? In fact, one person who had known quite a few of the people who tried to plant a church here over the years said, it's the church planter's graveyard. And I thought, that sounds, that sounds like a resurrection mission for me. And uh, a few of us got together. We began to pray. You know the story. We, we met in St. Patrick's Centre for just about a year. And we prayed there on a Monday and Tuesday night uh, over that year. And people came and we gathered and prayed and we had prophetic words and, and God came in. And then um, Big Andy came to me one day and he said, hey, John, you know the bingo hall's up for sale? Uh, it's up for rent. I'm like, the bingo hall? Where's that? He's just around the corner. And we came into this building and it was... <laughs> I have photographs I could show you, but this place was sitting there like probably for about six years. And uh, it had plumb data rail. Anybody remember data rail? I took great pleasure in taking that off. But when you went out in there, it stunketh. There was, there was things that were in there, not just for four days, for four years, all right? And the dead things had dead things on it, if you know what I'm saying. And it was, it was pretty rough run down. And, and we came in here, and a bunch of people, with absolutely no money, by the way, a bunch of people came in here, and we did this work ourselves. We couldn't really afford afford to pay contractors other than the Sparky, which we had to pay, uh, and a few different people, but people like Raymond and, and Sharon and Fiona and, and Anne and Tutter and Zoe, we, we painted this place ourselves. I never knew a wall could take so many coats of paint, and uh, I never want to paint another wall in this place again. And what happens is this, it's a death to life story, and, and um, I grew up in Antrim, many of you know that, I love the fact that Tucker grew up in Downpatrick, but um, I'll talk about him in a second, and uh, uh, what happened was, um, uh, when you grow up in a town that you love, you kind of love and hate it. Because an awful lot of people grow up in the, in the town that they grow up, they want to leave it. Like, like, I hear it all the time, I'm not staying here, this place is a dump. And, uh, or, you know, this place is a hole, I don't want to stay here, I'm getting out of here. And I talk to young people about that all the time. And, and yet, I felt like, no, this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't a time to run away, this is a time to dig down. And many of you know my story is that we led a whole bunch of young people to Jesus in 2004, 2005. Rachel and I discipled them. And some of those people are, are elders and leaders in our church today. And uh, God really blessed it. And one of the things that, that we did, what I did, every Friday afternoon for about six years, I, there's a wall, old wall at the Castle Gardens in Antrim. And I went on that wall every single Friday for two hours to pray. And we wrote little post-it notes and stuck them in the wall. And we prayed faithfully that God would come and transform this town. Because and many of you know Antrim was one of those towns. You drove through to it, but you never wanted to go there. I remember someone said, it's a, you know, the real world's a real nice place to visit, but I wouldn't like to live there. That, that's just like Antrim. And people said, well, you drive through it to go north. Or Junction 1 came and people came to get Starbucks in it. First Starbucks in Northern Ireland. It was so good whenever that happened. And now we got a McDonald's and we got a Tim Hortons. And, and Antrim's thriving, let me tell you something. But one of the things that we got at the time was that the word, the castle grounds that were in there was this place that had no life in it. It was just dead. And when I was a young kid, it was a place that you went to for, to be bad against your parents because your parents were told you, don't you go to that castle grounds? Bad down in there. Uh, but we went down in there and that's kind of that's where we hung out. And... Um, and over a period of time, we began to pray. And what we noticed was this castle grounds began to come to life. And the local council and local people got involved. And now millions, I'm not joking, millions of people come through that place on a daily basis because of its gardens and what it's doing and where it's at. It's actually quite spectacular what's happened to that place. Something that was once dead has come alive. 
The other thing that I used to notice, and I'm a bit of a spiritual feeler, I would drive into the 30 mile an hour zone in Antrim and the hairs in the back of your neck would stand up because it wasn't really a nice place to go. How many of you ever been in a place where you kind of drove into it and you go, something not quite right with this place? And you know what I'm talking about. And it's one of those things when you walk in, it's like, it's like you just go, oh, something's not right. And, and you, can, you can detect different fields and cultures. And one of the things was that every time you drove into 30 mile an hour zone in Antrim, the hairs in the back of your neck stood up and it was a dark, desolate place. For years it had murder. For years it had uh, drug taking. For years it had infighting within the paramilitaries. And it just became a place where, where a lot of people from, from the, the overflow of the troubles in, in, in East and West Belfast ended up in Antrim. And it didn't help that our local government built all these houses, didn't have anybody home, and gave them a thousand pound at the time to move up to Antrim. And uh, you had this new conflict taking place where you had what I call the original Antrim people who were from Antrim and what we call the blow-ins, okay? The Makui's from Belfast, all right? You know what I'm talking about? And a lot of towns in Northern Ireland went through this sort of during the late 70s, early 80s. And what happened was these cultures began to clash and it didn't quite work. And you had this sinister feel in a place where we began to pray and we noticed strange things began to happen. From the day that we began to pray and planted our church, and, I, and I, I'm not saying it's just us because I think other things have happened, but we haven't actually had a murder in Antrim. Every year on year there was murders that took place in that time. Even after, even after the ceasefires took place, there were still paramilitary murders. We haven't had a murder um, from a paramilitary or, or, or that way uh, fr- from then. Um, and for me, that's really interesting. Because all of a sudden, a place that was dark and dead had got new life. And then I, I, I find Thomas, and we end up having a conversation. And, and uh, Fiona and Clive, many years ago, said, you know, we need to go and plant something in Down Patrick. And conversations, and, and, and Rachel's mum and dad, Edwin and Anne, had come along and had conversations. And, and eventually, Thomas come along, and he had such a passion for Down Patrick. And he and I had similar conversations that I had for Antrim. He also had that for here. And what was that? Well, we knew about the deadness. We knew about the bad stuff. We knew about the difficult stuff. We knew the stuff that absolutely needed resurrected. But we also knew that God had put something in us to bring resurrection life to a place that seemed and felt dead. And we began to look at that and we began to pray about that, what would that look like? And um, I remember going to the elders at the time and saying, hey, I think we should plant a church in Down Patrick. And we, we were still struggling to get our own church up and running. And yet God came along and, and just said, okay, yes, this is it. And all the way through this story of this church in Downpatrick has been this incredible group of people who have prayed faithfully, listened and hung on to the prophetic words of God and have passionately pursued it. And we were about to get going and things were just really beginning to take off and then COVID came along. And between finances and people and all sorts of things, we weren't even sure whether this place was going to make it, to be honest with you. And financially speaking, um, there was a legacy still about from that. And it was a struggle. And uh, COVID has changed lots of things. COVID has brought death to so many people internally. There's an apathetic spirit in the world today. Nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, Nobody wants to do anything anymore. Uh, People aren't as passionate as they used to. They've reassessed their lives. The jobs they were doing aren't the same jobs they want to do anymore. And, And the world has presented us with a very interesting challenge right now. Whereas a lot of people will go, oh, how t-. I was talking to another minister this week who's from a traditional church, and everything was how terrible it was. And, you know, my congregation haven't come back after, after COVID. We don't know what we're going to do. We want to bring life to the place, but it's, it's kind of dying. And, and for 45 minutes, all I heard was this death story. 
and I kind of felt bad because I'm like, that, that, that's not my story. Our story is in Northern Ireland, now I think a new church building helped that, we're growing. I, I, we, we just fed some, some statistics into the Evangelical Alliance and we're one of the only churches in Northern Ireland that grew during, during lockdown. Now, I don't understand that. I, I can't make that. But I do know something, that whenever a step of action in faith is taken, that the Lord somehow, don't ask me how, but he begins to make these things happen. And it's like he unfolds this scroll that when we say yes, when we move into faith, he, he brings life in front of us as it unfolds. And at every point during this process, which hasn't been an easy one, I can assure you, to get this church to where it's at today is a miracle. Be under no illusion. But I want to say this, what's got us here isn't going to take us forward. And as much as there's a small group of people here who are passionate about the Lord, and I want to thank you for the people who serve, faithfully give, who have kept the place afloat, probably from your prayers, not necessarily from all of your finances, but your finances are definitely blessed. But I want to say this, the people in Antrim have resourced this church over the last few while, but we have to get to a point where, where, where this place grows its own life, where it sustains itself and can take care of itself. There's a point whenever you take care of an infant, but there's also a point whenever you kick them out of the nest and say, fly by yourself. And, and there's a point when you're getting very close to being kicked out of the nest where we say fly by yourself. What do I mean by this? Well, we've been restructuring a little bit about how we do church and, and how we see this. Uh, in September this year, we put together a wider leadership team uh, made up of people from, from the church here. And I think that's been a, a success. I think the people who've got in there have got new passions, new insights, new, new understanding of where we need to go. And there's a new ownership. And whereas you're getting bogged down in the work here, I want to say this. The work that you do here is secondary to the work that we do out there. Please never, never forget that. The mission is the mission, which is to restore, bring life, hope, to bring soy life to this place. And not just down Patrick, but the wider community. Something also happened over, over lockdown that we noticed as a church. We now have more people coming to Antrim Church. More than 50% of the people come no longer live in Antrim. I've had to change my language because I can't talk about Antrim being our community anymore. I have to talk about our communities. And then Patrick's your community. But we have to come out of the narrow into the, the bigger because I think God is calling us to take us from this place to this place. And like I said, what's got us here won't take us to where we need to be. And God is restructuring, rem re removing the old and bringing in some new. And with that restructuring, one of the things that we want to do is establish an eldership down here. We, we invited Tucker in in September. Thomas, I, I can't... It's like, sorry, Thomas. I know, I know. It's like, I, I was called Junior growing up. My mom, sister's family called me Junior. My friends that grew up with me called me Junior. And if they call me anything different, I don't know who they're talking about. Because I, you know, my ears are tuned into them calling me Junior. So they start talking about John. I don't think they're talking about me. They're talking about somebody else. Uh, so it's quite hard. People come and go, what do I call you these days? I don't care. I'll answer to anything. But it's kind of the way it works. But, but, but uh, we brought Th Thomas on the eldership. And our heart is to bring more people on to oversee a local church. Um, you know, Antrim elders uh, what, what, don't work. That's, that's not the way the biblical model worked. You know, Paul established churches and he, 
he grew elders in the local place and we want to do that. And that's a higher calling. But one of the things that, that we want to let you know about is this, is that Thomas obviously has been at college for the last three years and uh, uh, we, we've been working on chatting in the background, but uh, we're going to bring Tucker on the staff uh, going forward and uh, try our very best to get him a salary moving forward because this local church needs somebody who's here, who's passionate about it and who's got it. Uh, and we, 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 we want to do that. We want to bless him for that. So uh, we're making steps to bring him on the staff. It'll be part-time to start with and hopefully we'll move towards full-time as he helps the church to grow along with you guys. Uh, we want to do that. Um, also, want to let you know a couple of things that, that we're looking at at the moment. Um, uh, obviously, you know our worship down here has been limited or a bit threadbare over the last wee while. Um, we want to make inroads and steps to do that. I mean, can I, honestly, you don't know. These two serve so faithfully. Um, never complain, never, never claim, but, but we need to grow our own teams down here. And uh, I've just learned something. There's, there's three ways to grow churches. They either fall out of the sky and, 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 and they arrive, or you grow them, or you ship them in. And I've spent, the, I was in Reading um, a few months back. I'm going back to Reading this year. I am trying to find us a few worship people who can come down here and serve as an inter, in, interns over the next while. Pray about that. I've got three or four lined up, but just need to, need to get them over the line. Um, but also part of what we want to do, and want to let you know about this, is that in September we're starting our school. Uh, the school's called Journey Equip. We'll be partnering with BSSM on that, that's Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. Uh, we're going to use their material uh, and their infrastructure. But we're starting a school, and we already have about 14 or 15 people who are really si signed up for that. It won't be a school that we will do during the day, so if you're a professional, you can come and do that in the evening. But part of that will be to resource the church world. One of the things we want to do is, is raise worship teams up, to raise, uh, raise people up uh, who, who can carry the kingdom of God and, and know what they do in uh, all of that. And part of that is that we want to, we want to grow people so we're starting a school in September and the, inf the infrastructure we put in place now will be to serve part of this. And th that might be for a season until we get up. If many of you know a crowd generates a crowd, someone said to me, well, if we get the school to do all of the, all of the work in the local community, it'll make our church lazy. And I said, what, lazier, lazier than they already are? I said, it's actually the opposite. Because if you put 30 people in the community, what happens is a crowd generates a crowd. And we want to, to, to move towards that. And then I've got some, uh, a piece of news that's really exciting that... Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, to be honest with you, but about a week ago, um, we've been having a conversation about another building in Downpatrick here, uh, which was um, a building that's up for sale that we're actually looking for as, a, as a, some kind of rehabilitation centre. Um, uh, many of you know in Northern Ireland, we don't actually have a, a, a proper, when I say a proper, there's, there's some... There's some dry houses or, 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 or shelters that help people get dry. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about a center that raises up people who can actually come out of where they were and move them on in life. Uh, we've been talking to some funders about that, and there's a lot of people very excited about that. But there is a building here at the moment that we've been looking at. During the course of looking at that building, I came across another building, which um, popped up very quickly. And the moving in that in a, week's, in, in a week has moved rather quickly. All right, uh, Thomas, you want to show that photograph? Um, this building came up for sale, which has been on the market for a while, and it was under sale agreed. And on Friday, we have provisionally agreed to buy this building for this place. All right. Just, just flick it on there, Thomas. Um, this photograph doesn't do this any justice, but put that one with all the crowd in. There you go. That's 650 people. Okay. It comes with bars, restaurants, chairs. It did have a license. 
but I thought we shouldn't buy the license, okay? And um, uh, we met up with the owner, and actually, the owner was like absolutely thrilled. That I, I, I mean, he, he was probably more kingdom than most people are kingdom. And we had a conversation with him. He was so happy that a church were going to take this and knew all about what we did and was really excited to move forward. He's been sending me photographs for three days solid in, in the Facebook. You know, here's what we did and that's what we did. And he's kind of excited. Now, there's a problem. Anybody know what the problem is? Well, it's not that we don't have money. We just, we just don't have enough people. All right. And moving forward, um, what I will say is this, is that in order to buy this building, like every resurrection there has to be a death. And in death, there's a sacrifice. And Jesus' sacrifice was a resurrection. And actually, what happens is, when God moves us along, can I tell you, the weight of the Spirit of God in our meeting on Friday made me move on this. It was, you know, Clive, Fiona, Thomas, and myself, we went to look at it. And it was one of those moments where we just kept looking at each other, going, <laughs> it wasn't, is it true? It was just, it was just like, we're all looking at each other going, this is a no-brainer. To build this building today, I estimate somewhere between 700000 and 800000 to build. Um, we provisionally agreed this for 330000 Okay, And the good thing about this is, because of our building the way we were and structured in Antrim, we actually had a mortgage in place for two hundred and seventy-five on our building in Antrim, which we didn't take in the end, but that mortgage is still available to us. Which actually would mean that the mortgage we would be paying, compared to our current rent at the minute, would be less for this building than we're currently paying. However, we need a deposit. We need to find 35,000 and we need to find it pretty soon. All right? So I will be going to our church in the course of the next week after I've had a conversation with the elders, which by the way, I haven't had just yet. Um, now, in saying that, that's not quite true. We've, we've, we've had that. Sorry, that's the cricket club just outside of town. So that's the Coil Bar and Restaurant. It's the cricket club attached. So if you go out to the roundabout here, it's if you're heading back up to Belfast, I go past the roundabout, head out to the right, out towards uh, uh, Saul. It's just the first on the left, just there. So it's kind of just outside of town. But I, I want to I tell you something about, about, about what I felt this morning when I drove in, which is why I mentioned what I mentioned about Antrim. There has been a blockage here. And I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but there's been a blockage here. And I've been trying to figure out, what, why aren't we breaking through at the level that we need to be breaking through? And the Lord reminded me of what we did in Antrim. And I, and I remember thinking that, that the people that we got coming weren't Antrim people. Like, at the start, we built the church with non-Antrim people. And I realized the people coming here, for the most part, don't live in Downpatrick Town. They live out and about. And I, I was like, there's something about territory. And I've realized, and I can't explain this, but the spirituality when you turn right at the roundabout is different to when you turn left. It's, like it's, it's kind of like there's just a different flavor. And I've realized that, that, that in order for us to grow, and here has been fantastic, don't get me wrong, having a, a downtown thing, but there's something about being here that I think has stifled our growth. There's something about being in this actual place hasn't taken us to where we need to be. And I felt so powerfully this morning as I took a spin around there before I came down here, just to, to, to really sense that that's where we were, was that this was 100% the right thing to do for the generations. 
and that there's something in blessing this place and what we do. I'm hearing stories of new schools going up out that neck of the woods. I'm hearing stories of all sorts of things. Can I tell you, we can actually run businesses out of this place. Uh, coming with this building is all of, all of the equipment, all of the uh, wedding banquet equipment, tables, chairs, so we, we, may, we may be able to host weddings in it, funerals, we may be able to do catering. There is an incredible opportunity for a cafe coffee shop. I, I'm, I've, just got, I've just got a really trendy, nice coffee stuff sitting in the front of this place, ready to go. Well, maybe not quite ready to go, but a wee bit of work needs done. Uh, the electrics in this were upgraded two years ago. Everything, this building is shaped and ready to go. And honestly, I don't think, barring a little bit of soundproofing and, and maybe some lights moving around, uh, we could probably move straight into that and, and that. Now, the only problem is, you know, 90 people rattling about a 650-seater hall uh, could create a few problems, but we'll figure that out as we go along. Um, yeah, like the restaurant, but we have vision for that, Raymond. You see, somebody took this as a, as a vision and had a go at it, and it didn't work. And then they had another go at it, and it didn't work. And now somebody else came in and had another go at it, and it hasn't worked. I said to the Lord, Lord, if we take this, is it going to work? And I heard him say yes. And the thing, the thing about the Lord when he, when he moves like that is that, that without vision, people perish. Without vision, we're dead. And there's something in the sacrifice and the commitment about moving forward into this that I think the Lord um, ha has touched us and given us. This is about a future. I asked uh, Joshua Mara to sing the blessing this morning. Um, it just was one of those powerful moments. And I, something so deep in me isn't building church for you guys. Does that make sense? I, I, I want to build church for our children and our children's children. I, I will say this. I don't believe churches are meant to exist 300 years later. It's just a personal opinion. I think like life, we're meant to cycle. And I think we either come back up again in resurrection. I love what Holy Trinity Brompton in London have done over the years. They've taken these old churches that were dying and frail and, and crepit, and they've taken young, passionate leaders, planted them into those churches, and refreshed them, brought them back to life. And there's just something about taking old buildings, taking, taking this. And can I tell you, the favor of the Lord that's on this, if we can make it work, is in all the years I've been doing this, it's probably one of the most crazy short-term things that I have ever seen unfold. I spent 14 and a half years trying to find a building in Antrim without success until last year. And even that, that shouldn't have happened. And yet here we are, this place is coming down with buildings. And yet God in his, in his place. And to finish today, what I'm gonna say, I'm about Joshua Mara back up. One of the people who are involved in this building spoke to me, I remember speaking to him about 25 years ago. And he had a passion to see a church planted in Downpatrick. In fact, he was involved with a group of people that tried, um, John and Linda Thompson, some of you know them. And John was instrumental in the, the building of this building for the cricket club. But when Fiona spoke to John this week, she said something interesting. It was, like, it was like God already knew and what John was doing 20 years ago was never ever about the cricket club and was about the original heart and prayer that he probably prayed 30 years ago to release a building 
that is almost perfect. I mean that, almost perfect for what we want to do as a church. And the legacy in that is that two things. One, God doesn't do things instantly sometimes. And, and the second thing is sometimes there has to be a dead group of people that come together to pray and rise up out of the ground. And guess who that is? That's you. And I know we're only small. And everywhere along the way, Priscilla Reed gave me a word when I first planned the churches. He said, at every level, John, you'll always punch above your weight. Now, I'm a heavyweight, all right, physically. But actually, when it comes to this, I really believe our church has always punched way above its capabilities. And I never want to take us out of that. You know why? Because that's where faith is. That's where life is. That's where hope is. That's when we get on our hands and knees and we ask the Lord, come today, give us hope, give us freedom, show us a way forward. And yet, for some weird reason, the thorn in my side over the last two years, which is down Patrick, uh, Journey Community Church down Patrick, and I mean that in the greatest love, actually has this thing right now where we threw seeds, we kept growing, people prayed, people asked the Lord for harvest. And I believe that when you have your own building, people are weird in Northern Ireland. It's like, it's a weird thing. It's like you're homeless if you don't have a house. You might live in your friend's house, so you're not homeless. But until you have your own house, you, 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 aren't, you aren't somebody or you aren't something. And when you rent somewhere, you're in here. Down here, we're a shop. In fact, we're the bingo. And can I tell you from having conversations with people out there over the last few weeks, they have no idea what we're about. They can't pigeonhole us. They can't box us. They don't know whether they're Protestant or Catholic. Amen. And, and, and they want to put us in a box. And never in all these times do I, I, I want to put it. Why? Because we want to be a blessing to this place. Can, can, I, can I tell you, handing out those chocolate bars might, might seem like a commitment. And yes, it's money. And yes, it's time. And yes, it's a bunch of very small group of people in here uh, putting tags and chocolate bars. Um, can I, let's not, let's not, not do that the same with eggs. So please come down, sacrifice a couple of nights this come a week and come down and help us pack eggs. It is good crack, pun intended. Um, but also we get to know some folks. But why do we do that? Because when we bless, we give those people something that they cannot argue with. They go, you know, Edwin said this week, says, <laughs> last week we were talking, he was talking to somebody um, who'd said this to him. He says, you know, oh, I we don't know what that church is, don't know what they're about, but we know they do good works. And good works leads to good favor. And good favor always leads to good news. And right now, we, we, have, the favor, we have the favor of the council. You, this church has more favor with Down and Yuri Council, which, by the way, is a majority Sinn Féin SDLP council. And we have more favor in that council. They, the respect they have for us is unbelievable. I can't give that an answer in years of trying. And God, somewhere along the way, just keeps supernaturally, I don't know why, just birthing these wee things up. And he gives us a hope and a future. And can I tell you, there is a hope here. But every resurrection, everything that comes back to life has a process of sacrifice and pain. And this morning, if you're in pain or you're in the middle of the sacrifice, you have a choice this morning. You can go after the resurrection life of Jesus or you can have a pity party. And people love in Northern Ireland, they love a good old pity party. We love, oh, so terrible. Weather's terrible, life's terrible, everything's terrible. 
And, and we can become negative Nancys. Can I tell you, nobody wants to hang around with a negative Nancy. We need, to, we need to start speaking life. And it's not that life becomes the power, but there's something in moving out of an attitude into a position of resurrection that Jesus wants us to move to. And I don't care how hopeless you feel this morning, there is hope. I don't care how dead you feel this morning, there is resurrection life if you, if you choose it. And he, the thing about God is he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. But I do believe there's a place of freedom that we can get to, a place of hope that as we see God unfold in front of our lives, as the scroll unfolds, God has an incredible ability to come along and touch us in a way he's never touched us before. And you're just a small group of people. We're just a small group of people. And yet, I've never met a bunch of people with bigger hearts, passionate prayer, a sense of love, a sense of community. You've something that we don't have an antrum anymore. It's not that we used to have this. When you're small enough, you know everybody. You get to where we're at in Antrim, you don't know everybody. And then we start getting visitors in and we have no idea who they are. And yet, God's setting us up so clearly for the next stage of this. But it requires a partnership. It requires sacrifice. And it requires some of you. And, and, and I, I have some, honestly, <laughs> have some rich friends that God's dropping into our, our lives at the moment. And uh, if I have to ask them, I will. But you know what? I don't want to ask them. Because the miraculous comes from our own people who bring to the storehouse and give and share. He wants a deposit of 33,000 over the next couple of weeks. We just paid off our building in Antrim. All right, we paid all of that. And uh, now, no, we, we don't own that building. We can't own that building. Okay, we had to lease it. But everything that we put into that, which was about half a million in total, 450,000, will be paid off in the coming weeks. And in one year, we're not even in there a year, in one year, God done that. And I believe that if we can do that, if we can do that there with the group of people we have, I am positive in one year we could do that. Sharon said the 70,000 would have her be paid in a year. She wasn't wrong. We, 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 we don't. We, 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 we don't have debt in here anymore. And in many ways, we're set up to go forward. I'm excited. I don't know about you. But this is where we have to now start to really start to ask the Lord. We've got to find some inheritances somewhere. We've got, to find, we've got to find some people who are prepared to sacrifice and commit to do this. Why don't you stand? Father, this morning, as you go before us, Lord, as you roll the stone away, we ask this morning, Lord, that you'd roll the stone away in this town. Lord, that you would roll the stone away, Lord, and speak to everything that's dead this morning. Come forth. Lord, bring life, come forth. And I want to speak to you this morning. And I want to say, come forth. Come forth. Whatever's dead in you needs to come back to life. I'm calling it out in you this morning. Come forth. Bring the life out. Lazarus, come forth. You can't live in the grave clothes. You need to shake them off. Lord, today, do you remove every grave clothes that holds us back, Lord? Every pity party every idea that we're, we're broken, damaged and not good enough, Lord, to move to your kingdom, Lord, where your kingdom will rule and reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, we thank you so much for the blessing to the thousand generation. Lord, that you would continue to bless so deeply. Lord, that what we do today, that many generations would build on their shoulders and stand so high because of what we've sown today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.